bad when that's the problem when you have family members <laughs> doing your PR for you. It's a bit of a problem. It's great to be here. Thanks, Ward and Nicole, for trusting me with your pulpit. As a senior pastor, I know how serious that responsibility is. And I asked um, Ward if he'd heard any of my message. He goes, no. I said, and you're letting me come and preach? He goes, yeah, Michael's word's good enough. So I'm like, okay. Yeah, the pressure's on Michael. That's right. So if this really sucks, just, you know, blame him. Blame him. Now, it's, it's great to be here and great to see what God's doing here and um, and meeting some familiar faces, the trends, I've, I've known them since I was before a youth pastor, since I was just a young person. Uh, they were at Petersham, and, uh, and then their kids were in the youth ministry when I was the youth pastor for a period, and so we've had lots of connections, and, and then a couple that's new to your church, the Jacobs, uh, Claude and Catherine, uh, they were at Petersham while, uh, and on the board there, and serving there in different ways, and while I was there. Uh, and they're looking for a new church, and found them, we're here, and so it's great to have them here as well. And, uh, and so one of the things that I've heard just in talking to the Trents and, and the Jacobs was how welcoming you guys are, and how much they felt welcome right, right from the first time they turned up. And, and that was my experience too, just walking in here and just having people come up and say hello. And, and uh, it's a great thing. Uh, often people, when they go to a church, that's what they're looking for. Before the first song is sung, or the first message is heard, uh, they're looking to feel part of a community and loved and welcomed and accepted and, and you have that going on and so that's great. Keep uh, building into that and I'm excited for what God's going to do in your Christmas spectacular as some of these people come from your community and feel that sense of love and acceptance. Uh, I'm sure that will be deeply impacting for them. All right, this morning we're going to get into the Word and I'm going to speak to you on the topic of Sabbath, Sabbath rest, the rest of God is what this message is title, um, and uh, you know, there's lots of messages I could have preached, and, and I was talking to Pastor Ward, and he was saying that you guys have been doing a series on spiritual renewal, um, and I felt that this was the kind of word that God put on my heart to kind of fit in with that series and get you to think about um, some of these realities about rest and about Sabbath. And the problem is we, we often don't think about these things. We, we just kind of live unintentionally, and I remember how I learned this when my, my son, Micah, was a lot younger and, and learning to ride his bicycle. And uh, this, we kind of live on this little bit of a hill. And so one day, you know, we, we went up riding, and he was kind of riding quite well. And so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll test him on the hill down. And so, you know, we're riding down the hill, and he was doing really well. But you know, as the hill kind of got steeper and steeper, the momentum kind of increased. And what I didn't realize was that Going wasn't a problem. Stopping, on the other hand, is a whole different thing. And just because you know how to go on a bicycle doesn't necessarily mean you know how to stop. And so he got to the bottom of the hill and, and had to kind of turn into our driveway, and he kind of realized he didn't actually know how to stop. And so what he did was just ran straight into the fence and came off the bike and hurt himself. And, and you know, it wasn't a pretty thing. Sprawled on the sidewalk. And he, he got up and he said to me, Dad, why didn't you teach me how to stop? And I went, yeah, that's right, that's really important when you're learning to ride a bicycle. It's not just about getting your balance and kind of getting moving. You have to learn how to stop because at some point you're going to need to. See, the thing is a lot of the times we live our lives that way. We, we don't actually learn to stop. We, we kind of, we know how to go and we go well and we go fast and we go hard, but we never actually think about and learn how to actually stop. And so this morning, I want us to engage with that question. What does it actually mean to stop? 
What does it mean to, to live life in a fast-paced city like Sydney where you know, we work longer than we probably should? How do we live well? How do we live in such a way that we're not having to crash into fences to stop ourselves? But the sad reality is many of us do. It's not till we hit a fence that we actually realize, I probably could have done that better. I probably could have done that differently. And often our families feel the damage. We, we, our, own, we are our own bodies, our mental state, we feel the damage of that. Our relationships feel the damage of that. And many of us are living our lives at the pace where we're hitting fences before we stop. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And I believe that there is. And I believe God came up with a better way. Because God created us and He knows us from the ground up, literally. Um, and so built into His Word ways for us to live well. And the idea that is encapsulated in a lot of this is the idea of rhythm. Rhythm. And that's what I want you to grab a hold of. Our whole universe works on the principle of rhythm. Think about it. In Genesis 1, God said, I'm setting in motion the, the sun and the moon to what? To govern to govern our days, to govern the seasons, to govern the rhythms of the universe. Our scientists tell us that everything in the universe works to a rhythm. Sound works to a rhythm. Your heart beats to a rhythm. Your breathing takes place in a rhythm. Even to walk is an act of rhythm. Everything in the universe functions in rhythm. The tides come in and out by rhythm. Even machines even machines have a rhythm to them. That's why they have automatic cutoff switches to prevent them from overheating. Humans, on the other hand, don't have one of those. <laughs> we don't have one of them. But God kind of set this idea of Sabbath in place to give us this cutoff switch. That's what Sabbath is. Now, again, whenever you talk about Sabbath, you understand that there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion about this. You got on the one hand, you have some Christians, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, for instance, that want to hold to a literal Old Testament Sabbath keeping, just like the Jews did in the Old Testament. Uh, I don't know if that's what the Bible teaches. And I remember growing up in Sri Lanka, my brother will testify to this, my grand-uncle was a passionate Sabbath keeper. And as kids, we used to come home from church, and Sri Lankans, what do we like to do? Set up a cricket match somewhere. <laughs> You know, we'd be in the backyard playing cricket, and my grand-uncle would hear us out there playing, and he'd come charging at us with a cane, saying, it's the Sabbath, you shouldn't be playing, you shouldn't be doing anything on the Sabbath. And we used to scatter in all different directions until he was gone, and then the cricket match would start up again. <laughs> and sometimes we kind of think that way, that Sabbath is this idea where we're not supposed to do anything. But then we have on the other extreme where we say, well, you know, Jesus has come and changed everything. We're not living in the Old Testament. And, and you know, the, the New Testament seems to have a very different idea of Sabbath. And Jesus did a whole bunch of stuff on Sabbath. And now we have shopping malls and shops that are open every day of the week. And now we can work all hours of the day. We can work on our holidays. We can work after the sun's gone down. We, we can work all the time. And, and we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater, I think. And we've lost something of the principle and the idea of what Sabbath was meant to be all about. So how should we think about Sabbath? Well, I want to read you three Bible passages. And they, some of them are quite long, so I'm not going to read them all to you. You can read them in your own time, but I'll, I'll give them to you. And they're up there if you're taking notes. The first one is in Exodus 20. And it says this, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now jump to Mark chapter 2. And this is part of a whole discourse that Jesus is having with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. And he says this, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, this is the key phrase, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then Mark goes on to tell a story how Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath day. And again, the Pharisees had a real issue with Jesus doing that. And then Jesus responds in verse 4 by saying, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do? Is it to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remain silent. The last passage is from Hebrews chapter 4. And this is in the middle of, again, a, a discourse about the true nature of Sabbath. And the writer to the Hebrews is engaging with this idea of Sabbath in the Old Testament and what Sabbath means in the New Testament in light of what Jesus has done on the cross. And we're going to pick it up from verse 6. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in to the promised land because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, and he talks about today, you hear his voice. And then verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also rest from their own works, just as God did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So how should Christians think about Sabbath? Well, the first thing I want you to see here is that if nothing else, Sabbath rest, this idea of stopping, is a command that God's given. It's a command. And we're familiar with that. The, you know, we read the Old Testament, and that's what we kind of come across, these commands, these things that God says, thou shalt not. But what we might miss when we read Exodus 20, is that more space is given to the command about Sabbath than any other command. Isn't that interesting? That there is an explanation given, there is a reason given, and there is a blessing attached to it. The only other command that has those elements is the command about not having idols. That's the only other. Think about this. The command to rest is right up there with don't murder. How interesting. It's right up there with don't blaspheme. It's right up there with don't have a graven image. It's right up there with don't commit adultery. All these really bad things we think. Resting is right up there. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why? 
Why is it that important? Why would God put it in the tent? And I love the fact that in Exodus 20, Moses says the reason why God commands us to rest is because he rested. That's the reason. That's the reason. What's God saying? God's saying, you're not God. You're not God. I am God. And if I, as the God of the universe, can rest, what's your problem? What's your problem? And I believe that's why this is a command. Because God never wants us to forget who we are. We're humans. We're not God. But sometimes we think that we're indispensable. We think that, you know what, if I stop working, if I stop doing that, everything's going to fall apart. The world is going to fall apart. And God says, no, it's not. I got this. I'm the one that's sustaining the universe. I'm the one that's holding everything together. I've got this. You can take a day off. And here's the other reason why I think it's a command. Because if you actually think about it, our inability to stop, our inability to rest, our inability to take 24 hours off and have a Sabbath, whether it's on a Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, whatever the day is, I don't think that's the issue. If, if we struggle to do that, perhaps there is something to do with idolatry involved. I was listening to a sermon by Andy Stanley, and he said all of the Ten Commandments, all of the other nine, in one sense, come back. Sorry, it wasn't Andy Stanley, it was Tim Keller. All of the other nine somehow relate to that one. Don't have an idol. Don't have an idol. And maybe if we can't take a Sabbath, maybe that says something about the idol of work. Maybe that says something about how we see ourselves as being divine. That maybe we see that, you know, my world will not survive without me. And God will say to you, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You've made an idol of your work or you've made an idol of yourself. So it's a command. You know, and let me tell you this, as a pastor, this is really hard. Because I actually do think that everything will fall apart if I'm not there. (laughs) And then one day, I was able to, when I was a youth pastor, I went away for an extended holiday. My family and I went to the States for about seven weeks. And guess what happened? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing fell apart. In fact, things did better when I was away. And I came back, and the youth ministry was going great, and, you know, young people were having a great time. God had been moving, and in that moment, God said to me, who do you think you are? (laughs) You are not indispensable, not just in the church, anywhere. You're human. You're You're created to reflect God. Don't ever forget that, and that's why God says, take a Sabbath. Take a day. If I can take a day off, if I can rest from my work, you can. You can. Now we get that. We get the thou shalt not. But Mark kind of balances that out. See, sometimes we think of rest, we think of Sabbath as something I have to do. Uh, And we kind of feel it like it's a drudgery or or a waste of time. And and I know many of you have a very high work ethic. And for you, giving up 24 hours is like, what for? I've got the capacity. You know, And let me tell you this, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can work doesn't mean you should. And and that's the the cutoff switch that God has built into our human DNA. And in Mark 2, Jesus says, you know what? The Sabbath is meant to be a gift. It's meant to be a gift for you. I I don't know if we see rest that way. Many of us see rest as an inconvenience. (laughs) 
as something we do to prevent burnout, as something to do so we can go harder tomorrow, that we can do more the next week. And so we take a holiday go, oh, okay, I, I suppose I should. You know, the number of people, they say, that have annual leave accruing because they just don't take their days off. And Jesus says, it's not a have to, it's a get to. It's a gift. And yet so many of us wrestle with guilt and we wrestle with all kinds of self-condemnation because we're trying to meet other people's expectations. We're trying to, you know, bolster our own ego and we want to be seen as indispensable. And, and so we see rest as, a, as an inconvenience, as something that gets in the way of our productivity because so often we measure our sense of self-worth and value and dignity by our productivity. And so when we stop and there's all this stuff that's not getting done, we, we feel guilty. And we feel that somehow we're deficient or we're failing because we need time off. And God says, no, 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 no. It's not a have to. It's a get to. It's a gift. See, the thing is, in Mark 2, Jesus heals this guy. And that's the get to. Because when we're so enmeshed and so ingrained in our work, we miss everything else that's happening in the world. We miss other opportunities to see the work of God and see the glory of God and, and be used by God outside of our 9 to 5 or 9 to 7 or 8 to whatever it is, your job. God is bigger than that. And what God's doing in the, what God's doing in the world is bigger than what your job is. And sometimes you need that Sabbath to lift your head up and see what else God is doing and to be a part of that. And so Jesus said, no, it's a gift. I give you Sabbath as a gift. In Ecclesiastes 2, the writer says, here's something that's totally meaningless, to work and work and work and never actually get to enjoy your life. Never actually get to enjoy the products of your labor. I remember being at Birkenhead Point one time, and my wife and I were having a coffee there, and we walked out on the marina, and we were just like, wow, look at these boats. They're just beautiful, amazing, massive boats. And I was talking to, you know, the guy who was there, the security guy, and I said, oh, this is, this is amazing. And he said, no, it's not. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's sad. He said, I, I, I'm here looking after these boats every day, pretty much. And he said, nobody comes down here. They just sit there, bobbing up and down in the water. I mean, I just think, what, what a crazy world we live in. Where we're, we're working so hard to make a better life for ourselves, and yet we don't get to enjoy the better life that we're working hard to produce. And, and God says, no, that's, that's not what life is about. That's not what it's meant to be about. I don't want you to have a boat sitting in the harbor bobbing up and down. I mean, not all of us have boats. I'm not saying we should go get boats. I'm just saying whatever it is that you're working hard to, to provide for you, your family, your kids, and we were supposed to be living in a world where we were supposed to have more recreation time, to recreate, more leisure time. And yet, it's shrinking. And we don't actually get to enjoy our life. And it's slipping away. Uh, this is where Andy Stanley's message comes in. He said, most of us, we invest so much of our time into what's, when the things that really bring pleasure and happiness to us are the who's other who's he said you know i have never encountered in all my pastoral years of ministry being in a hospital bed next to someone dying and them saying can you bring my flat screen tv so i can spend some quality time with it i work so hard to you know get my boat or my maserati i work so hard to get my home in the hills can you please bring that so i can have some closing moments i can get some closing no it's always a who it's always a who 
And God says, that's why I give you Sabbath as a gift. So you remember what life is really about. So you never lose sight of the things that really matter. So you actually get to lift your head up and enjoy this wonderful world I've given you. The fruit of your labor. Take a Sabbath. Look at what else I'm doing in the world. Look at how else you can be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And enjoy it. Because it's a gift. The third thing that we can learn about Sabbath from Hebrews is this idea that the physical reality of our lives, of work and rest, are just meant to point to a deeper reality. This idea of Sabbath anticipates something that is future for us. And God wants us to live out of that reality that's future. And Hebrews 4 talks about this idea that it's not just about physical rest. The reason Sabbath is important is because it points to a spiritual reality. So let me kind of unpack this a little bit. In some churches, people have communion every Sunday. Why do they do that? Because they argue that the Bible says that it's a reminder of what Christ has done. And every time we participate, we kind of reflect and remember the significance of the work of the cross. Sabbath, I believe, is a reminder that God has built into our universe to point to what, uh, what awaits us in the future. What awaits us in the future? Well, Hebrews 4 tells us that because Christ worked, and you know that, that when Jesus was here, he talked about the work of the cross, the Father's work. Jesus was working, and because Jesus worked, and he completed the work of dying on the cross for your sin, for mine, paying the price of our redemption, and it's a completed work, you get to rest, and I get to rest. Not just now, but forever. Forever. The writer of the Hebrews says that this idea of striving disappears for a Christian. This idea of having to earn my salvation through working for my salvation disappears for a Christian. This idea of having to, to, to please God in a way that he saves me, that's the heart of religion. If I can just do enough good stuff, if I can just work hard enough, the gods will accept me. And sometimes, even as Christians, we, we, we work and we live out of that same mindset. No, I've got to keep working. I've got to keep working. I've got to keep striving. I've got to do in my fair share, my put in my good day's work so that somehow I'll feel good about myself. I'll feel accepted. I feel valued. And the writer of the Hebrews goes, I get that. But when you get the cross, when you get the gospel, when you get Jesus, when you get the fact that Jesus has completed the work, there is no work left to be done. It's done. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. So because Jesus has finished the work, because Jesus has completed the work, we get to be perpetually on holiday. <laughs> Spiritually speaking. That's what the writer of Hebrews 4 says. That we come into the rest of God. Where there is no striving. Where there is no working. Where there is no trying to earn my salvation because it's based on Jesus' finished work. And so Hebrews 4 says that our Sabbath keeping in the physical should be a reflection of that. That I don't need to strive anymore. I don't need to work to, to bolster up my ego, to, to make, make myself feel better. I, I, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I live and work out of that reality that one day in the future, I will be with God forever. Right now, I'm enjoying the down payment of that. And I don't need to strive. There is no condemnation now for me. 
There is no sense of having to strive to earn the Father's pleasure because I'm accepted and loved and I am free in Jesus. And because of that, my striving, even in the natural world, takes on a different meaning. Because it anticipates and it looks ahead to the future when we will be in glory and we will work, I believe, still. We will physically still work. I know some of you are thinking, what, in heaven I'm going to be working? Yes, because in Genesis, Adam and Eve worked before the fall. But work will not be labor. It will be a pure delight and a joy. And we will work and it will be glorious to God and it will build us up and it will be all of those things. But there won't be a sense of weariness and drudgery. And so in the meantime, while I go to work and my boss is irritating me or the deadlines are due or I'm burning the midnight oil trying to get a project completed, I can anticipate and look forward to a day when all of that will be different. And so I live in light of that today. And it's a perpetual reminder when I take a day off, God, I'm looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back. Already I sense that I'm accepted by you, so I don't have to strive to earn your pleasure and your, and your favor and your grace. And now I know I have to strive to please my boss. I have to strive to get my project done. But in an ultimate sense, I don't need to strive because Jesus has completed the work for me. And one day... And one day I will live in that Sabbath rest and know it completely and totally. So right now, God, will you help me in my nine to five to live out of that, where there is no striving in a negative sense, but there is a sense of rest that infuses and affects and, and infiltrates everything I do, that there's a place of centeredness and wholeness and peace and fulfillment and joy that comes into everything I do, not a sense of striving and restlessness. It's a reminder. Taking a day off is a reminder that, God, you're doing something much more profound. You've done something much more profound in Jesus than just me taking a day off. Sabbath was instituted for me as a reminder that Jesus has finished the work. And because of that, I am made right with you. And I don't have to strive for my salvation anymore. So how do we live out of this rest? A guy called Peter Scazzaro, he wrote a book. He's written several articles and been on several interviews about how to rest well. And these are so profound, you probably never would have guessed them. They're just rocket science. No, they're not. They're just pretty obvious. You'd probably go, really? Okay. Number one, he just says, stop. Just stop. Stop. You know, like, it's so easy to say, but it's so hard to do in our, in our world. And this is where our culture is at odds with what the Bible has to say. See, when God instituted rhythms in the world, when the sun went down, you stopped work because you couldn't work at night. In the winter, you couldn't work because you worked outdoors, and that was the season when nothing grew anyway. And so the way the world was determined and forced us to live in rhythm. Now, we can work till four in the morning every night if we want. Even when we go on holidays, we can work because we live in an always-on world. And so Scazzaro says, if you want to know Sabbath, then you have to be able to stop. You have to be able to disconnect. You have to be able to pull out the plug and just stop. Uh, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, we wouldn't even need to say that because before electricity, we had no choice. Whereas now, it has to be said, we have to stop. See, the thing is, many of us get this, but we do what they call shadow work. I don't know if you've come across this idea. It's the work that happens behind our eyes, as it were. So we've kind of stopped, or our family thinks we've stopped, 
or our kids think we've stopped, but there's a whole bunch of business going on inside of our head. It's kind of like your iPhone or your smartphone, whatever it is. You know, when it's recharging, it's still doing things in the background. It's uploading apps, it's pulling in your emails, it's finding text messages, it's looking for a Wi-Fi. It's doing a whole bunch of stuff, even though it's meant to be recharging. The only way for that smartphone to actually not be doing anything is to be turned off. So many of us find this so difficult. So I could just leave it here and go, you know what, just work on this for the next little while and then I'll come back and tell you the other three. (laughs) But I'm going to give you the other three and you can work with them at your own pace. Stop. The second one is rest your body and your mind. And again, this goes, once you've actually stopped, is actually being able to shut down your mind or your body. And depending on the kind of work you do, that might look differently for different people. For, for my wife, one of the things she loves doing is jigsaw puzzles. And that's her downtime because she's just focusing on the one task. You know, there's a great movement at the moment that some Christians feel a little bit funny about, but I think has a lot to teach. It's called mindfulness. And this whole mindfulness stuff is about learning how to f- be present and to be focused on just one task. Uh, Mandela's is this whole thing of coloring in. Adult coloring in books are everywhere. Again, trying to teach adults how to stop their mind and just sit still for long enough to actually let their bodies rest. Whatever it is, whatever works for you. For me, it's going you know, out to the armory at Newington, sitting down with a coffee and just staring out into the, into the Parramatta River. Not the most glamorous view, but it's close enough. <laughs> just to stop and to rest your mind and your body, to just focus on one thing to rather than be scattered with my mind going everywhere. The third thing he says is delight. Delight. And I love this. This is enjoying the world that God's created, whatever that is for you. Go to the movies, go for a walk, go for a jog, go to the gym. Things that replenish and recharge you. Hang around with people that you love being with. Go out to a cafe and have a great meal. Enjoy the food. Taste the flavors. Slow down long enough to actually appreciate the moment you're in. If it's a good book, find a quiet spot and read it. Give yourself the permission to do that and not feel guilty because you've taken half a day to read your favorite book. Because somebody wrote that and God inspired their creativity to be a blessing to you. Go to the art gallery and Stand in front of the masterpieces and go, wow, this is awesome. Get up early and go see a sunrise. Stay, you know, find somewhere that has a view and look at the sunset. But delight in the world that God's given you. The last one is contemplate. Now again, Sabbath is not about just taking a day off and doing nothing. Sabbath is about intentionally connecting with God. Because in Exodus 20, Moses said, it's a Sabbath unto the Lord, unto the Lord. Sabbath is meant to be an act of worship to God. And that's where church comes in. That's where being a part of Christian community comes in. So part of your Sabbath experience is connecting with God and, and, and being in worship or being in the Word or in prayer or meditating or, or spending time in solitude and quiet reflection where you're connecting with God. And connecting with other people. And that's why in Mark 2, Jesus went around doing good and healing people and doing God's work. Because that's part of Sabbath. And Jesus said, that's not a violation. Sabbath is not just, I'm going to kick back, sit by the pool and have pina coladas all day. No. (laughs) Sabbath is the opportunity for you to step out of your daily routine and say, God, what else are you doing in the world? And how can I be a part of that? To be filled with His presence. 
to be so aware of his kingdom purpose and remind yourself that what God's doing in the world is bigger than what you do in your world. And connecting with that as an act of worship, contemplating, worshiping. So whether it's Monday or Friday or Sunday or Wednesday or whatever day it is, stop. 24 hours, try that. 24 hours, unplug, disconnect, go dark. Whatever it is, stop. And just rest your body and rest your mind. And you know, some of the, one of the things that people are finding more and more, that somehow people who build their lives around rhythm and actually give themselves the permission to actually take a Sabbath rest are in fact more productive. And isn't that the way? That's what we teach tithing, right? We can do more with 90% than with 100. It's the same with time. And yet somehow all of us as Christians, we don't have a problem with the 10% of money but we have a problem with one in seven with our time. Why is that? It's the same God who runs the universe that provides our money that can also make you as productive as you need to be in your work. That's why God says it's a command. Take it. I took it and you need it more than I do. Why don't you bow your heads? Why don't you open your heart, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I don't know where you, you, you're at. This is my first time here, as you know, so I don't really know you, but I believe God wanted me to speak into your heart, this message. And some of you really needed to hear this. And maybe you're on the edge of hitting that wall, hitting that fence and coming off real bad. Maybe you're feeling like your life is just spinning out of control. And you're looking around and you can see the, the potential collateral damage in your family and in your health, in your relationships, in your commitment to the kingdom work, whatever it is. And maybe you're seeing red flags go up. And today was an opportunity for God to grab a hold of you and say, hey, stop. You need to hit that cutoff switch because you're redlining. You've been going too hard, too fast for too long. And in this moment, I just want to invite you to take just some moments to stop. I'm going to stop talking. I'm just going to allow you to sit with your thoughts, open your heart to God, and let Him speak right into you. I'm not going to do an altar call as such, but 
I'd love to pray while every head is bowed and every eye is closed for anyone who feels like they're about to hit a wall or they maybe already hit a wall and just really need God's grace. If you'd like, just lift up your hand. I'll, I'll pray for you as I conclude and hand back to Pastor Will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there are hands going up everywhere. Father, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to minister your grace to these brothers and sisters of mine. Father, they're recognizing the warning signs. They're recognizing the red lines. They're recognizing that something needs to change. Lord, I pray that it will not, it will not start as a have-to, but a get-to. Lord, that they would embrace the gift that you've given them. That there will be no guilt. There will be no shame. There will be no sense of failure. There will be no sense of, I'm wasting my time. But Lord, that they will celebrate the gift of Sabbath rest that you've given. And Father, I pray in that moment of replenishing and resting and stopping and contemplating, Lord, that there would be such an energy and life that comes in. Lord, such renewing as Isaiah 40 says, that they will experience the, the wind of the Spirit coming, Lord, as they wait on you. Lord, that they will rise up again on wings of eagles. That they'll, Lord, they will run they will run well, they will run fast, they will run hard and not faint, that they will walk and not grow weary because they're empowered by your Spirit. Lord, I pray that every sense of striving, every sense of being driven, Lord, will just fade as they get a revelation, Lord, of who they are in Christ. Lord, that the work, the eternal work of our redemption has been finished. Lord, that we would live out of that. And so I pray, Lord, even in this moment of stillness, that you will speak into your sons and daughters, reminding them that they are loved, reminding them that they are accepted, reminding them that you are pleased with them. And Lord, that they would be able to let go and rest in that. Bring transformation and wholeness and healing and replenishing, Father. In Jesus' name I pray.